This is the World in Brief from the Economist. Our top stories. Diplomats from the EU agreed on a price cap for Russian oil of $60 per barrel, according to Poland's ambassador. The policy aims to squeeze Russia's revenue by prohibiting Western firms from insuring, shipping, or trading Russian crude anywhere in the world unless it is sold below the cap. The G7 is expected to endorse the plan soon. Separately, an EU embargo on Russian crude takes effect on Monday. The Kremlin said that Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, is, quote, open to negotiations with Joe Biden, but only if the West accepts his country's annexation of Ukrainian territories. During Emmanuel Macron's state visit to America, Mr. Biden said he was, quote, prepared to speak with Mr. Putin as Mr. Macron has if the Russian president signaled an interest in ending the war in Ukraine. Employers in America added more jobs than expected, 263,000, to non-farm payrolls in November. A separate household survey showed that 186,000 people left the labor force, putting pressure on wages, which rose by 0.6% in November from the previous month. Strong hiring and pay growth are unlikely to deter the Federal Reserve from its highly telegraphed plan to ease interest rate increases in December. China began adjusting to what the country's COVID czar Sun Chunlan called a, quote, new stage in the fight against the virus after a wave of protests. Authorities in two major cities, Chengdu and Tianjin, announced a further easing of COVID curbs. Meanwhile, Kristalina Georgieva, head of the IMF, said China's COVID strategy would be, quote, critical in determining Asia's economic future amid an, quote, exceptionally uncertain outlook. Germany's exports dropped more than anticipated in October, official data showed, as high inflation and supply chain issues continued to bite. Exports fell by 0.6%, the second consecutive monthly decline after a drop of 0.7% in September. The news tempers optimism that the country faces a milder recession than expected after growth figures for the third quarter announced last week beat forecasts. Ukraine has lost between 10,000 and 13,000 soldiers since the war began, according to a senior official. Mikhailo Podolyak, an advisor to Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, also suggested that around 100,000 Russian soldiers have been killed. Meanwhile, Ukraine's army said Russia is using nuclear-capable missiles armed with non-explosive warheads to, quote, exhaust the country's air defense systems. David Malpass, the president of the World Bank, warned that the growing debt burden of poor countries is increasing the risk of defaults. Mr. Malpass said poor countries owe their creditors $62 billion this year, about 35 percent more than in 2021. He called for better debt restructuring processes, especially from China, the biggest creditor to poor countries. And word of the week, Fumuguan a Chinese word meaning father-mother official, and often used to describe local magistrates in imperial times. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Migration in the Med On Saturday, Italy's Prime Minister, Giorgia Maloney, is due to address an annual conference about security and cooperation in the Mediterranean region, a touchy subject for her government. 
In October, Italy refused to accept a ship carrying 234 migrants who had been rescued off the coast of Libya. France ultimately allowed it to dock after a bitter tussle with Ms. Maloney, calling her government's stance, quote, incomprehensible and unacceptable. The French suspended an agreement to settle 3,500 asylum seekers currently in Italy. That deal, struck in June by 18 EU members, was already falling short. Under the pact, northern European countries agreed to accept 8,000 asylum seekers from their southern neighbors within a year. But by mid-November, only 117 had been relocated. Expect Ms. Maloney to voice the complaint of many Italians that Italy is being left to deal with Mediterranean migration by itself. Next up at the World Cup. It has taken 48 matches to trim the 32 teams at the Football World Cup to 16. Now, as the tournament enters the knockout stages, it will take just 15 games to reveal a champion. Several fancied teams have made strong starts and look like contenders. The holders, France, should ease past Poland on Saturday. Likewise, Lionel Messi's Argentina against Australia. England, too, should have enough attacking prowess to beat Senegal on Sunday. And Brazil remain favorites to end their 20-year trophy drought. But there is also plenty of scope for upsets. America will be energetic opponents for the Netherlands, who were not properly tested in a weak group. Morocco, playing in their first knockout match since 1986 and unbeaten so far, will relish the chance to take on Spain. And Japan, fresh from shocking Germany and Spain, will be looking for another European scalp in Croatia, the beaten finalists in 2018. Native Americans Fight for Sacred Land Saturday is America's first Tribal Museums Day, but the celebration takes place amid tension over sacred land in Arizona. Chichilplact L, which measures 6.7 square miles, or 17.4 square kilometers, is owned by the federal government. It is also an important religious site for members of the Apache tribe. The Trump Organization arranged to transfer it to Rio Tinto and BHP, two multinational mining firms, in a land swap. The copper mine planned for the site could become America's largest. Tribal leaders who gathered this week in Arizona for the Sacred Sites Summit say that protecting particular sites is a, quote, holy war. Last year, Apache representatives sued the federal government, claiming that losing Chichilplact L would curtail their religious freedom. An appeals court upheld a district court ruling against them, but in November it agreed to rehear the case. A win for the Apache could help protect other sacred lands and ensure that they remain part of a living culture, not one relegated to museums alone. The Sydney Modern Opens Its opening is being called Sydney's biggest cultural development since the Opera House was completed nearly 50 years ago. But unlike that landmark, the Sydney Modern, a gallery which opens on Saturday, does not disrupt the skyline. It hunkers into the harborside, all glass walls and grass-covered roof. The project, costing 344 million Australian dollars, or 234 million US dollars, aims instead to make a mark with its exhibitions. It nearly doubles the floor space of the adjacent Art Gallery of New South Wales and features work by more than 900 artists, including Indigenous Australians. Sydney siders blush at how their city gets outshone culturally by Melbourne, known for its thriving arts scene. The new gallery aspires to compete with London's Tate Modern or New York's Guggenheim, said Ben Franklin, a minister for arts and tourism. 
Thousands of Sydney-siders have registered to visit. The gallery's creators will hope for global attention, too. Weekend Profile Alexei, a protester in Shanghai Alexei has joined two protests in her life. Both times, the Shanghai coffee shop owner, whose name we have changed, chanted slogans against China's government, a good way to risk a jail sentence. In 2019, to express her own discontent with China's growing authoritarianism, she traveled to Hong Kong, where she marched with millions of others calling for democratic rule in the territory. She was unable to tell anyone who she was and what she was doing there. Quote, I felt alone, but paradoxically, I had never felt so close to the people around me, she says. In the three years since, Chinese officials have only tightened their grip on Hong Kong. Many there have lost hope. Alexei has too. She considered leaving China on several occasions, but ultimately decided against it, not because she didn't have the means, but because of her, quote, unspeakably deep connections with her homeland. Alexei is a globetrotter, having lived in Argentina and traveled to nearly all continents. She came back to China four years ago, hoping to establish a stable life, even though it soon started to become unbearable, not least because of the prolonged COVID-19 lockdowns. Last Saturday night, she found some solace. She learned from friends that protesters were gathering on Wulumuki Road, just three kilometers from her apartment. Taking a bouquet of flowers and sheets of white paper, the symbolic weapons of these protests, she joined them. She laid flowers in tribute to the families who had died two days before in a fire in an apartment building in Xinjiang in far west China. The building's exits had reportedly been sealed to comply with China's zero-COVID policy. The blank paper is more explicitly political, a challenge to China's strict controls on free expression. She could hear the chanting from a few blocks away, quote, no to PCR testing, yes to freedom. When one person shouted, quote, Communist Party, a handful of people responded tentatively, quote, step down. Again, the man shouted, quote, Communist Party. This time, the response was stronger and more joined in, including Alexei, quote, step down. The next day, clips of the protest she attended flooded Twitter, which is blocked in China but accessed by people with virtual private networks. With dread, she stopped the videos on each frame to check if her face was visible. It wasn't. Quote, I was afraid, and still am, but I just had to go, she says. The winners of this week's quiz Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Jin Hong Park, Suwon, South Korea North America, Mary Lou Finlay, Toronto, Canada Central and South America, Federico Tarling, La Plata, Argentina Europe, Katarzyna Pointas, Sopat, Poland Africa, Niris Moodley, Durban, South Africa Oceania, Ewan Mackenzie Bowie, Auckland, New Zealand They all gave the correct answers of Peacock, Rope, Mustard, Candlestick Park, and The Scarlet Letter. The theme is Clue, or Cluedo. Mrs. Peacock, Colonel Mustard, and Miss Scarlet are characters, and the rope and candlestick are weapons. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Robert Louis Stevenson, who died on this day in 1894. Our business in this world is not to succeed, but to continue to fail in good spirits. 
That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.